Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics, coming up. The Liberal and NDP conventions reveal similarities in the two parties' policies. On the big economic issues and health issues and, you know, with some distinctions around the commitment to pharmacare and so on. But, yeah, they do agree on a lot of the same things. And I think the big challenge there for the New Democrats is to, in an election campaign, how to convince voters there's light between where the New Democrats are and where the Liberals are. What election-style rhetoric at the Liberal Convention says about the potential for a spring election. What this team knows is that finding real solutions means addressing the real challenges people face. And that's something that Aaron O'Toole's Conservative Party just can't quite grasp. And COVID infection rates increase as vaccination efforts ramp up. Six million doses will be arriving in April. Seven million doses will be arriving in May with 44 million overall prior to the end of June. Right now, 17% of Canadians have received at least one dose of vaccine. It's Monday, April the 12th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for being with us today. Hi, good to talk to you again, Mark. So coming out of these two conventions on the weekend, I think one of the first observations we can make is the fact that the NDP and the Liberals agree on a lot of things when it comes to policy. And I, I know these are these policy conventions don't necessarily dictate the platforms of the parties in the next election, but there's it does show a lot of similarity between where these two parties are coming from, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a couple of observations about, you know, virtual conventions, in particular the NDP side. Uh, clearly, they're not as good as, as the real things. I mean, there were lots of technical glitches this weekend, especially with the NDP convention. Uh, a lot of complaints from party members about, you know, the time allotted to the debate. And in particular with the NDP, Mark, you know, uh, we've covered so many of these conventions that it's really a grassroots and member-driven uh, uh, driven affair. And this this one was far, you know, far much more like uh, the party in the front office uh, driving the bus here, which which drives the Democratic Party members crazy because they really feel like, you know, they're the ones who decide where the party is going to go. And there was much less opportunity to do that with, with the virtual convention. Having said that, what we did get to was with some, uh, you know, some differences, but on sort of the, the big economic issues and health issues and, you know, with some distinctions around the commitment to pharmacare and so on. But, yeah, they do agree on a lot of the same things. And I think the big challenge there for the New Democrats is to, in an election campaign, which we're going to get at some point, we can talk a little bit about that and how that might have changed with what we heard over the weekend, is, you know, how to how to convince voters there's light between where the New Democrats are and where the Liberals are, something beyond saying that, yeah, and the NDP is down to admitting that now and has for some time that we share a lot of the same ideas. But if we ever get into government, we promise to follow through on them. The Liberals talk about our ideas. They steal our ideas. But once they get into power, they don't actually implement them the way they say they would. So that's the challenge, I think, for these Democrats is to, when we get a campaign, to convince voters that they would you know, uh, they're different from the Liberals simply by function of execution. And they say they promise they'll deliver. And uh, we don't know if that's true because they've never been in power federally. So would they have to change some of the things they promised in office too? Uh, You'd have to see if if they reform government. Yeah. 
Now, what about what the convention told us and what some of the speeches at the convention told us about what might be in the, the upcoming federal budget? Were there clues that arose there? Well, I think parties know that at conventions, they're a chance for outsiders. Uh, it's hard to tell uh, to what extent, you know, other than party members would sample uh, the offering of these weekend conventions, but uh, outsiders do. And so it's a chance for, you know, uh, for party leaders, particularly in their keynote addresses, to reach a wider audience. I think we saw that this weekend. I think we saw Justin Trudeau really uh, double down much further than we've seen in terms of the criticism of Aaron O'Toole and of, uh, in particular, Aaron O'Toole and the Bloc Québécois. I didn't have anything to say about NDP uh, leader Jagmeet Singh or the NDP, which tells me the Liberals, you know, uh, want to keep those New Democratic. Uh, you know, supporters, uh, you know, uh, who might be, in, you know, inclined to vote liberal. They want to keep them happy without insulting them. So that was interesting to hear. But really, they, the the pointed criticism of Aaron O'Toole and the and you know the party's position on climate change and what conservatives would have done during the pandemic by resurrecting some of Aaron O'Toole's past comments. Uh, would they have been as generous as Canadians with Canadians as liberals have been during the pandemic? Prime Minister suggested no. And when it's time for the recovery. Uh, talking about uh, how that might look different under a conservative government than it than it will look uh, as promised under uh, a liberal government. So I think you're you're setting you're seeing you know uh, certainly the prime minister set the scene for a possible snap election, and this is a good time to start you know lay out that narrative in greater detail and um, you know with with, uh, with greater emphasis. And I think you're just going to hear more of that right until from now until the time that we get an election call. And what about the chances of a spring election? I think there's been uh, the consensus has been that it's sort of waxed and waned the likelihood of this over the last month or so, especially around different numbers related to uh, the pandemic and lockdowns in different parts of the country and the number of people being vaccinated. Uh, there, There did seem to be a lot of election style rhetoric coming from the prime minister on the weekend. So does that suggest that we're closer to an election uh, than we might be? than we might otherwise have thought. Yeah, we're close to an election. It's, a, it's If it's not a matter of a, a couple of months, it's a, then it's a few months or it's six months, but it, it's probably not much outside of that window. I don't think we're talking about, you know, this time next year, for instance, the, the way things are going. But again, uh, I, I think the, you can uh, juxtapose two things that were kind of neat in the, in the convention. You heard the, 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 the comments from the prime minister, and that seemed to sort of ramp up the notion that the liberals are ready to go and want to go. And that may be the case. Uh, and then we heard from uh, campaign co-chairs, uh, Melanie Jolie is one of them, talking about essentially framing the election timing as requiring the idea of herd immunity and, and stepping up the vaccines. And so, you know, think about that as a, uh, that seemed to be a little more, um, it struck me as something more likely when, when the, the people who are going to be helping to manage the national campaign, one of them at least, is suggesting that, you know, if there's going to be an election in the short term before uh, the idea of herd immunity is achieved, it's going to be triggered by the opposition. And we know Jagmeet Singh has said he's going to support the budget. That's the next big test a week from now. And if he supports the budget, the government doesn't fall. So that takes away that uh, that timetable. But she was talking in terms of, 
you know, the, the vaccination process and needing to see that really move uh, quite a ways along uh, before uh, we should really be talking about uh, an election campaign. So uh, I, I think that that merits close attention. Uh, the prime minister is going to say he's, he's making a speech to partisans and he wants to pump them up and, and did say we got to, you know, election could come. We got to be election ready. So there's all of that. Uh, but I think there's lots to lots to look at in in that conversation around the thinking, you know, the, the direct line between election timing and vaccines. Yeah, and let's talk about where we stand with vaccines and with the pandemic itself. I think in a lot of parts of the country, uh, there were people who were expecting we'd be in a much better place by the middle of April and that uh, and we're not. Uh, the infection rate in Ontario is particularly high, as high as it's been uh, throughout this pandemic over the last 13 months. Um, and the vaccines, of course, are are coming. But um, we've also passed the United States in in terms of the per capita infection rate in this country. So, what does that what does that suggest about where we stand with this this pandemic that has dragged on? Yeah, it sounds it sounds uh, in a lot of ways like uh, we're we're backsliding. We're going backwards. And you know, from the earliest stages of the pandemic a year ago, Mark, every you know we we talked very early on uh, as a, as a nation, as medical experts, and so on about that this was going to be a bit of a long haul. That it was going to this notion of waves came up even back then. That this is going to come, you know, uh, it's going to hit us more than once. And so we're clearly seeing that in the throes of a third wave here. That uh, is. Uh, According to Dr. Tam, we're at, you know, we're hitting the kind of case numbers we saw at the height of the second wave, and they're still going up, uh, notwithstanding some of the, the restrictions that have been put in place in different parts of the country, and most notably, I guess, in Ontario and Quebec. But there's, there's still, it, it looks like there's still some rough road ahead as uh, the vaccinations uh, roll out, yeah, and, and being ramped up. But the big concern is, and, and the admission from health officials that at this point, the vaccination rates are not going to be able to to head off uh, the spread rates, and that's you know really uh, I, I think concerning to to a lot of people. And I think back to what we were just talking about that is really the frame and the context for you know the weekend convention talk rah rah we're ready for a campaign i think everybody's feet come back down to reality uh, starting today and for the next few weeks ahead uh, the budget's going to be all about the pandemic both now uh, continuing to help people and about recovery i think that's going to really focus people on the here and now again and, and less on the idea of a snap election right so the conventions were kind of a a bigger picture kind of moment, but we're going to get back down to short-term political realities in the next few days. Yeah, I think they. I mean, the convention offers people that sort of window, and they yeah. were they were scheduled long ago. Uh, I suppose everybody might have hoped that we'd be through the pandemic and really on the road to recovery, and the conventions would be all of it. Let's let's have an election. We're ready to go, but. Uh, you notice the. You know, it, it, the other thing that was interesting is the resolutions that the parties dealt with if they didn't you know if they weren't directly related to the pandemic they sprung from the pandemic you know they were resolutions about the need for you know better system of long-term care you know a domestic vaccine program and you know uh, you know better health care measures there were lots of those things that are that sprung from that so i you know 
the, the, the conventions were scheduled. Everybody had a chance to talk about uh, an election and being ready for an election, how we're different from the other guys. Uh, but now everybody's going to be dealing with, you know, we're all back in the same boat again today, and that is trying to fight uh, COVID-19 and trying to, trying to do it, uh, you know, with as little politics yeah. involved as possible. All right. We're going to continue to watch and see what happens. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. All right. Great to talk to you again, Mark. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. One of the most important tools in this pandemic, which is paid sick leave. We were the first to bring it forward. We fought to make it happen, but we know it needs to be better. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Globe and Mail argues the federal government and the provinces have let paid sick leave go AWOL in the pandemic fight. The Globe writes, Only Quebec and Prince Edward Island have government-mandated paid sick days for employees. This despite the fact that in places such as Toronto and Peel Region, outbreaks have spiked in warehouses, factories, food processing plants, and construction sites, and in the neighborhoods where their workers live. To get the virus under control... It's important that essential workers be able to afford to stay home or take a day off to get tested and await the results. In the Toronto Star, Robin Sears argues, Conventions today trivialize their own parties. Sears writes, Conventions can do damage if badly managed, as the Conservatives discovered last month, and Liberals and New Democrats risk learning in coming days. Every party receives resolutions that are bizarre, silly, or even dangerous. They reflect the views of a few hyperventilating partisans. Good convention management ensures they never see the light of day, because when there is little in the event itself to write about, they move to the front page. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues, it's pointless and foolish for politicians to keep blaming Canadians for the spread of COVID-19. The Sun writes, contrary to the conventional wisdom that Canadians are ignoring lockdown rules, Actual data shows there has been 80 to 90 percent compliance across the board. Countries where new infections are plummeting are those which have been most successful at vaccinating their citizens, compared to countries like ours, which are vaccinating at a much slower rate. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. A Conservative MP will hold a news conference this morning to discuss a private member's bill to be debated this week, which would ban what's called sex-selective abortions. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, Saskatchewan Conservative MP Kathy Wagenthal will discuss her private member's bill, which would make it a criminal code offence for a Canadian medical practitioner to provide an abortion if that abortion is sought solely on the grounds of the child's genetic sex. That is what's called sex-selective abortion. Public opinion polling has shown that a majority of Canadians find the concept absolutely abhorrent, and they would support some sort of measures to prevent it. The Conservative Party candidates in the last leadership race all supported a ban, and it draws some cross-party support. But although there has been anecdotal evidence of cases where a doctor has been asked to abort a fetus solely because it was, quote, of the wrong sex... We do not know how widespread the phenomenon really is in Canada. And as a natural consequence of criminalizing such actions, the bill would require some sort of information gathering, guidelines and a reporting system from medical practitioners. And the bill from an MP who describes herself as pro-life will bring with it the accusation that it is, quote, reopening the abortion debate. 
So, Mark, it's an interesting bill and an interesting debate to watch. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole and Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet ahead of the federal budget. He will also celebrate Vaisakhi by taking part in a virtual discussion with frontline healthcare workers, along with Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan, Minister of Diversity Bardish Chagger, and Health Minister Patty Haidu. The Prime Minister will also meet virtually with 12 students from Glen Eagle Secondary School in Coquitlam, British Columbia. Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will attend a virtual event, and Heritage Minister Stephen Guilbeault will speak at a virtual news conference concerning the future of the biosphere in Montreal. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, April the 12th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.